Welcome to Lineouts by Earful of Dirt, bringing you conversations with rugby newsmakers about the greatest sport on the planet. Hello, and welcome to Earful of Dirt Lineouts, episode 29. Today, I got to speak with Christine Sommer, uh, USA Women's Eagle number 263. She is also a dual international, having been capped at Dubai in 2016 before she received her sevens senior cap uh, against Canada in a game that I got to see her play in her first cap. So that was really cool to sort of like reminisce uh, with someone you before you had met about watching them in a game. Uh, that was, like I said, that was really cool. But who is Christine Sommer? She went to University of California, Santa Barbara, got a BS in chemistry. Uh, she is straight up chemist and scientist in real life. So that, that ta- tells you a lot about how awesome the U.S. Women Eagles are and what they do in real life. They, they do everything. They are very high-level thinkers and high-level hitters in that case. Uh, she is a woman that has received tremendous opportunity in her short time and has always sought to better herself on the rugby pitch as well as off the pitch. Uh, on the pitch, uh, she has continuously uh, sought a higher level of competition going from when she moved to Seattle playing with the Mudheads and then joining the Seattle Saracens and most recently playing with the Harlequins Ladies of London at the Twickenham Stoop with the likes of... And there's just some legends on that team and some legends in the making. A legend on that team, just to talk about, would be Rachel Burford, who she will go up against uh, this week uh, against the Red Roses. And then you have a player that uh, just had surgery, sadly, but a great player that she had a chance to play with in Jessica the Breacher Breach, who, if anyone has followed women's rugby when it comes to the Red Roses, this uh, young girl, this young woman, young lady, Uh, what have you, had six tries in her first cap. So that is why I call her the Breacher, and uh, she is a dynamic winger. But uh, the cool thing about Harlequins uh, is that their their men's and women's teams are very integrated. They train a lot together. They train at a high level together, and they do a lot of social events together. If you go down to the stoop, like when you walk in, unlike some other clubs that are – uh, I would say dislocated from their men's and women's sides. Uh, because of the co-location, uh, Harlequins as a club have been very awesome about the integration when it comes to their women's side and their men's sides. And you just see all the men's stuff, and right next to it, you see all the women's stuff. That's all when it comes to marketing and and commercialism of, of the side, which is really cool. Uh, when it comes into this thing, uh, she did not play against the Black Ferns because she was playing with uh, the Harlequins. But because of that level of play, and she'll attest to that in the interview, she was just able to slot right in to the Women Eagles when they landed for their tour of uh, England and Ireland. And, you know, it, she was playing at such a high level, it didn't really take her much to get used to that. Uh, she is now back in the United States for the Women's Super Series and will be playing with the Washington Athletic Club Women's Sevens team this summer uh, and May 
or may not return to Harlequins. Uh, it would be, as she say, as she will say, it's a, a really awesome opportunity that is currently, uh, you know, on the docket to make a decision for. So, without further ado, uh, Christine Sommer. I'm with Christine Sommer, or Pony, as she's called by me. Uh, U.S. Women's Eagle number 263. I didn't... You got me. Yep. That's pretty awesome. So you are a Palmdale girl turned Seattle woman and London woman. Is that is that correct? That is correct. <laughs> Definitely for the better. <laughs> yeah, like the desert. Uh, I mean, I'm from SoCal. I'm not from that side of the mountain, so uh, can't really uh, can't really attest to uh, the life of Palmdale at all. Um, <laughs> But, uh, you know, you've got, like, uh, all the wildflowers out there, so that's fun. Yeah, the heat, definitely the heat. So. Um, it's pretty extreme there, dry summer. But I had some good childhood experiences. So getting to the rugby, as it were, um, and a little bit of college, I guess. Uh, so what, what was your sport or sports growing up before you found rugby? So I played um, – volleyball and soccer in high school. I grew up playing soccer most of my life. Um, a lot of it was on travel teams and election teams and um, tried cross-country for about a season. Really hated it. Uh, and then I tried to continue to play soccer in undergrad. Uh, I was trying out for the club team and trying to walk onto the B1 team at UC Santa Barbara in California. And then kind of found some doormates who were going out to rugby training and decided to join them. So it's a, it was kind of an easy transition, a quick transition. Um, just kind of compiled all the other sports that I did before, but with a bit more community, I guess. That's um, just an easy way for me to get to know people, especially in a new location and new school, and just kind of really transitioned 100% from there. So... You played for UCSB, um, then you got to play select side in SoCal uh, with the SoCal Griffins. What was, I guess, so what was that experience like? Because you don't really see, especially now, I guess, uh, collegiate and territorial well, geographic unions really don't put a lot of money into those programs. Right. Uh, there wasn't much happening in the Griffins when... When I was going to school, I went to a couple of trainings that we had, um, and, and some people got together at UCLA, UC Santa Barbara, and some other locations in Southern California. But we never really competed, never really played against the the Grizzlies or um, any other select side teams across the United States. We just kind of got together with some coaches um, that were volunteering. But after that, the program just kind of fell. There wasn't a whole lot of organization, um, or I guess just people who wanted to help lead it and, and keep it and keep it going, which is kind of a bummer. Because um, I've heard of, even before I started playing about the amazing competitions between the coast, the Pacific Northwest, and and the Griffins and other locations across the U.S. Yeah, it was. A- but it was kind of my first, like, you know, step into a select side, you know, for for rugby, which was different awesome and then so going going further along you, you played for emerald city before 
mm-hmm. finding your way to the Saracens, I I don't know the Mud Hens, so you'd have to tell me. <laughs> so the, the Mud Hens was the first thing that popped up when you Googled Seattle rugby. So, so it's a it was a local Div one team that played in the USA Division one kind of bracket. Um, they were in the same bracket as the Seattle Breakers, which were a competing team at that time. Um, so there were a couple national players that played on that team. Um, one would be Ashley Kamichik, who I met first, who was in the national pool. Um, so I joined with them in 2012 and kind of just started stepping into the Pacific Northwest game with them. They weren't super involved with the BCRU, the rugby league in Canada at that time. They were just playing in the USA division. Um, and we played in that for a couple of years until 2014 when kind of the Seattle Saracens formed, which is a makeup of the Seattle Breakers. They kind of transitioned to Seattle Saracens when the London Saracens um, kind of agreed on a partnership. And so that's when the transition happened where a few, a few of us um, transitioned from the Emerald City Mudhens to the Seattle Saracens. So like a, an old school... Seattle merger when the two men's clubs, OPSB and Seattle RFC, merged. Okay. Totally, totally. And it was, in the beginning, we were trying to create a merger between the Everest City Mudhens and the Seattle Breakers, but it just wasn't something that both parties wanted. Or, you know, it wasn't an, an even vote, I guess. Gotcha. Um, so there was a handful of us, maybe five or six, that decided to transition to the Saracens at that time. Um, and just kind of know that they were going to play at a higher level. Um, they were fully going to commit to the BCRU Premiership, the Women's Premiership um, pool in, in BC Canada, um, and just kind of were excited for a, a union team that had both a men and women's team that would play in high brackets. So this kind of family club, which you don't see a whole lot in the USA. Um, so it was just kind of a cool opportunity. Yeah, that's... That's always uh, interesting to look at how the, the Saracens as a club were able to compete in the BC right. Union and usually not not just compete, but but often, you know, go deep in the playoffs or win the thing, which has happened on the men's side. And, you know, you the Saracens, I think you guys won one year in the last couple of years. I, I forget. I, I have to look, but you've gone to the playoffs every year. For, for 15th or for 7th? For 15th. Um, they, we won the first two years, but it, it, we were in Division One. Yeah. We won the first two Division One titles, and then in 2015 and 2016, and then we were asked to move to the WPL, but Seattle Saracens don't have a ton of funding for um, the money that's needed for us to travel and compete at that level, seeing as we had the BCRU Premiership right above the border. So it was a decision that was made. I can tell and you stated. about the WPL, and, and you know this, and, and this is really right, right, right. To get there, to get for anyone listening to the podcast that is a, a patron of, uh, of a WPL club or a, a club that also has a WPL side, because there are a few others. Um, well, uh, you know, throw some more money behind that WPL side because uh, you know they're exactly because it, I will say this emphatically that. The WPL is is play is funded by the players. There's not 100 percent a lot 
else behind that. So if if you are a if you happen to sponsor just the big club, I would say segment some some more money behind the the WPL side because uh, those women need it and uh, it's the highest level domestically in the United States that women can play and you know it is pretty good rugby. Completely, and if we would have had a little bit more funding financially, you know, we do have some sponsors that you know fund our club, um, usually to the men and women's team. Um, but not enough for us to for flights to go to, you know, NorCal, SoCal, Denver, wherever else would be in our pool um, for our region. So it was just uh, kind of a decision to continue to compete in the Division One USA League while also being a competitor in the BCRU just over the border. Um, and then things got kind of kind of finicky um, the last couple of years with kind of how we were going to position ourselves with getting into playoffs for Division One League, seeing as we were still playing premiership games, you know, um, 14 to 16 premiership games, and kind of having a spot in playoffs. So um, the last couple of years were kind of tough, actually, to keep our Div 1 playoff spot. Um, so we've just kind of gone full steam ahead for BCRU and, and trying to facilitate a Division Two team in the, in the BCRU. So to take a step back and not really focus on rugby because this sort of like plays into it, you are a scientist. You're a chemist. I I try to be. <laughs> so, so let's. So you've got uh, there's like three certifications behind your name because your LinkedIn is like the third or fourth thing that comes up. You have uh, was it a CPSC, which is Certified Professional in Erosion and Sediment Control. Uh, Correct. And you're uh, a quality industrial stormwater practitioner. Uh huh. And a uh, and then QSD, which is a CA. Not sure what the CA is for, but qualified. It's a, it's a, so the yeah, it's a California specific certification, okay. which is pretty cool. And so is the quiz. So I so I work for a company called Clearwater Services. We're up in Everett, Washington. Yep. Um, so we kind of fabricate and manufacture and um, provide maintenance for water treatment systems, specific to um, stormwater treatment or wastewater treatment. So not really specifically drinking water, I guess. Um, so we provide a lot of environmental help um, for water regulation in, in Washington and pretty much down the west coast to San Diego. The regulations for, for water treatment for construction and industrial runoff across the West Coast is pretty strict. So um, we, myself included, you know, I had to get a few different certifications to be able to develop documentation for the state of California. That's where some of those, a couple of those come into hand. And, and then the CFESC, the Professional Erosion Sediment Controls, is a nationwide certification, which is um, – but it allows me to develop documents, stamp documents um, for erosion, um, which is probably one of the better yeah. things I did with my adult life. And it allows <laughs> you to get paid more because you have a bunch of letters behind your name. <laughs> <laughs> I know. Sometimes the letters are a little, you know, overwhelming, but it gives me a little bit credit to what I've been able to do so far. So, so what made you, you know, go after uh, a bachelor's of science in chemistry at UCSB, which is for for those that you know look at California and they're like yeah California UCSB is a 
amongst the UC system, it, it is a research university, and it's a great place to go for for science stuff. Uh, I, I don't, I mean, outside of that, I, I went to school on the East Coast, but I definitely know about, you know, the biology and chemistry programs that go there. But what, what made you go on that track? I, I've always had a love of math and science, mostly math. So I was going to go for math. Um, I previously, you know, wanted to be a chemical engineer. Kind of combine that, combine that math and sciences um, with kind of stuff I grew up with. My dad was an engineer. He always taught me how to make, you know, how to make a battery. What does a battery do? Um, I did my my project for high school was the difference between like AC and DC power. Something <laughs> you don't really hear. Hear too many things about for you know high school girl, high school senior. I know, I know, high school senior totally. Um, yeah, so I I did some chemistry, I class, um, and I did do some chemical engineering class, coding and whatnot. But just decided to continue straight chemistry because of the workload and you know trying to balancing education and rugby in the same time was kind of difficult. So yeah, it kind of worked out in the end. And, yeah, I, I mean. Uh... Uh, most, I guess, sometimes athletes that, that start with a hard degree, uh, the school, school that takes a vaccine and they become an English major. So, uh, hey, awesome for you to, you know, kick butt and, uh, get a bachelor's in science and chemistry. That's, like, way cooler than what I did in college, I'll tell you. <laughs> it, it, it worked well. I mean, my last year I worked a little. Um, or just similar stuff to what in real life, which you don't really hear about, you know, people using their education or their degree. <laughs> but we did water treatment, but at like the nano scale, you know, removing contaminants from stormwater, rainwater, drinking water. So it was kind of a neat transition. So, so going back to rugby, uh, so you break in to the national side. I want to say. I want to say I was at your first test. Did you play in the second match against Canada in 2017? I did. So that was my first 15s cap. I actually ended up getting my first 7s cap in Dubai in 2016. So were you, um, I guess looking at that, were you trying to make residency at the time? Say that again? Were you trying to become a residence athlete for 7s? Guard, you know, um, I was actually in um, Costa Rica with my now fiance when I got the invitation for a seventh camp, which is kind of funny. Um, and then I ended up going to the seventh camp, and and somehow at that time, you know, Richie saw something in me in that camp, and I was going to Dubai, and you know, two weeks later, it wasn't something that I was really pushing for, you know, really trying to be a resident center. Um, I have a lot of friends that are doing that now, and we're doing that then, which is really cool. But it wasn't on my, you know, bucket list. So it was a great experience, and I think that just playing in that kind of gave me the confidence to just push a little harder and just kind of get used to that national platform. Uh, but it was pretty much 15. Uh, that was my real goal, to have 15 cap, which was that second game. At that Canadian series. Not everyone gets even the chance to compete. In fact, most don't get the chance to compete and earn caps in both sevens and fifteens. So that's pretty awesome. Yeah. 
Um, but uh, yeah, so I guess before we sort of get there and and to take take, I'm taking a bunch of steps back. I know, but your friend sure, sure. and former teammate or current teammate, because you, are you playing Wax Evans this year? I am. I <laughs> I just recently decided I would because I came off of you know, I came off of injury um, coming back from UK. So timing just worked out where after Super Series I can jump in and play. So I am playing Flex yeah. So Carly McKinnon um asks uh pretty much so before twenty fourteen you were you were basically you'd come out of a, a D two college program and then played like lower level rugby and then you end up with the Saracens playing BC Rugby Union D1, and then BC Premier League, and now with the Quins, and she says, like, has been, you, every time you've leveled up, has, was that the facilitation to get to where you are now? You know, maybe, um, honestly, I'm just trying to appreciate it as it sounds, just kind of play my best, and I, and I didn't think that Harlequins would even be a a possibility, you know, they reached out to me during World, World Cup. Um, it's definitely contributed to my success as a player, just confidently and how I play and I guess just how I look on the field. It's not just something that I notice, but maybe I don't notice it enough because people, people tell me that they notice it and that makes me think about it a little more, that I might play a little better, be a little bit more dynamic or dominant on the field. Um, yeah, but weirdly, they've all kind of been level up. I just keep, I just keep going up and progressing forward, which is, you know, I give gratitude for everything that, um, you know, every opportunity has kind of come my way. Um, and the best part is, is every step I've had tremendous support, really. And that's what's allowed me to just progress without hesitation. Um, and just kind of move forward from the next team to the next, which is a hundred percent helps me, you know, with my appearance in the national team playing with Quinn's just helped me come into the USA tour in, in October with ease playing style was similar. I was playing basically international games, you know, for all of our premiership games. So now when I jump into some of the games, I, I don't, I don't have any mental holdbacks. I'm, I feel like I'm physically there. Um, and then I guess I just kind of do my best when opportunity presents itself. Got it. So I guess we're going to jump a little bit forward in the middle somewhere. Uh, 2017 World Cup. Did you, So after the, the Canada series, how did you feel about, like, your chances there to to achieve that, you know, I guess that accolade to be capped in a World Cup and, and compete? I think you played in, was it two or three games? Um, I technically played in four. I had decent playing time in the first three games. And then I played what, I, I only, I ended up playing the last five minutes of New Zealand game, which I have mixed opinions about that I won't share on the podcast. Um, but you know, I, it, it was a huge accolade and, the, the players that were at that long camp, we stayed at, in Chula for four weeks together as a team, just training. It was 
it was some hard, some hard training. We had some dark days. I'm sure any, any player who was there would tell you that we went to some dark places. Um, but we had an amazing, you know, back row and kind of forward pack that was competing for position for this squad of 28. So I mean, a couple of my really good friends now, um, we were competing for the same position. So it was physically hard, definitely, but it was also emotionally tough because you're competing against your friends for something you've always wanted for a long time, the same position. You can only take so many um, in that position or in a mixed position. So that was kind of a hybrid. Um, I kind of played four through seven. So definitely. Wait, wait. Um, you were playing four? Yeah, it, yeah if I played. You were playing played, four? It, like it, yeah, I played four. Well, and even now, my main position here at Super Series is four. Really? Uh, what is he? Yeah, so I played one game at four, one at six. Um, I think I jumped in one at, I ended up switching to five just because, just because how the numbers kind of laid out. Um, yeah, I was a utility player for sure, which I didn't mind, you know, the opportunity was there and if I was, if my goal in, you know, when I was set to be on that team was a utility player, then I was completely fine with it. When, it. when it comes to positions, like, everyone talks about, I guess, inclusivity and, and body types. You know, I, I look at, right. you remind me, and, and, and so, like, you remind me, I would say, in body type, uh, very similar to Christiane File. And you're very, yeah, yeah. you play very, I would say, in, to compare it to men's rugby, more, more like sevens than sixes, because the six in men's rugby is usually like enormous. And right. The seven, is, <laughs> the seven is the more athletic, usually a little bit smaller, smaller athlete. But man, I've, I'm, right. a, I'm a hooker and I've played four before. No. So. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it was, I mean, I've lost before, but I've definitely had to change my mentality to be a lock, you know, not just go through the motions, but actually be eventually strong to just be in the tight five and just take on those challenges that are a bit different. You know, I'm not, I'm not just being thrown in the game now because positionally no one's ready to play four. Like, no, now you're playing four. You're lock. So I've had to kind of adjust my training a little bit and my weight, <laughs> go, up, go up weight a little bit, um, but it's all, you know, played all in strides, and and so far it's gone really well, I, I enjoy the position, I feel comfortable in the position, um, in the World Cup I just kind of went at it, you know, and did my best, <laughs> but now I'm actually, I feel like I'm actually training for it, and being a bit more technical, um, you know, foot placement, and drive, hit motion, you know, kind of working all of those little techniques, which is good. So now I can be kind of a bit more of a perfectionist about it well, instead of just being thrown into it. This is, I mean, this is the important part. What's your squat and deadlift right now? What's my what? What's your squat and deadlift right now? That's the important part. <laughs> you talking about pre-injury or post-injury? Well, I guess pre-in- pre- pre-injury. Yeah. Oh, man, it's pre Free ankle. I was on my back. I think my my most back squat was maybe 225, 230. And then I got up to 
185 for my front squat. Oh, nice. Um, that's a, that's a I haven't, one. yeah, honestly, it's, a, it's the best front squat I've ever had. Uh, they haven't had us, you know, max out on deadlift. We do a lot more hexla deadlift. Uh, I think I got to 340 on that. It's okay. Um, Man, uh, right now I wish I could see 340 on a <laughs> Well, considering uh, other teammates I have that can lift more than I can, to me it's above par. It's okay. I can do better. So, I'm just trying to keep up with all the other strong people on my team. So, good World Cup. Um, you get to go play, or you get recruited to play with Quinns, which two of your teammates had previously played for, and at the time, uh, one of your right. Eagles teammates, Jess Wooden, was actually playing for them, and like now she's, I think I recall you said she moved on to Richmond this year, but also Kimber Rozier had, had played for Quinns as well, so right. I mean, really, uh, like they like Americans in that corner. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean... When I met with, uh, you know, Gary and Karen, the head coaches, I met with them in Ireland, and I sat down with them with just waiting and with Kimber um, as well. So it was kind of a it was a kind of a perfect meet and greet to kind of get their perspective and you know the players' perspective as well. Um, yeah, you know, there honestly was an amazing opportunity that I definitely did not want to pass up. I thought I would go sooner because they asked me to come for the. Uh, 17 to 18 season, uh, but I was kind of having a in and out of knee surgery or a knee injury at that time. I decided to have knee surgery that fall after World Cup, so pushed it off season. But thankfully, you know, they still let me have the opportunity to come over, which was amazing. Um, so throughout the you know 2018 year, I just kept telling my employer like, "Hey, this is happening. I'm going to be gone for a while." I would love to still work. You don't pay me, um, or just let me go play abroad for a bit. But this is not something I'm gonna pass up for sure. Um, and you mentioned that uh, you know being at the level that you had to train at with Quinns and, and play at. I guess you were able to basically slot in to a tour when they showed up to England, and you know just get on and go get that, you know, victory versus Ireland, but what was the difference at Quinn's because as far as the development and structure that you get playing in the, I think it's Tyrrell's Premiership or Premier yeah. Teams, as it were? Correct, Tyrrell's, yeah. Yeah, so uh, they had a lot more international players, so a lot more international involvement. So a couple of games, you know, you, you don't have just players from England that are in the pool or just that one team, they're dispersed throughout this entire premiership league. We also have players who play for Scotland, play for Wales, play for Ireland, dispersed through this league. So you have all this international development, you know, in one competitive premiership. Um, so the games just felt at a higher level to me, you know. We we have national players dispersed around USA and, and we play against Canadian players in the BCRU, but, you know, you might get a few here and there. And they're competitive matches, but um, they never really felt like an international match to me. But a couple of them in, in the UK, immediately after, I was like, that was that was 100% international speed, international match. Um, so it just felt like I was getting the minutes in. 
really getting the contact in, playing against players I would be in Super Series and, you know, against Ireland. My good, one of my good friends, uh, the Alliance who played for Ireland, played with her. She's an amazing hooker, but then also played against her when we went and played her, um, in, in Dublin. So, um, it, it's kind of weird because it brought me back to that club level, club level for soccer, for soccer where you, you know, you have those selection sides and you play together, you travel together, and then you kind of disperse and play for your own home team. Um, and then you got, you know, you could say hi to them and play against them and, and enjoy it a bit more because they're both highly competitive. Um, I don't know, it just gives me a bit more excitement and passion for the game, I guess. Um, but they train hard. They train, they trained a bit more full time when I was there in the spring, right after the England players got their contracts. Um, so we even felt that more professional because we were five days a week, um, you know, two, two times a day, sometimes three times a day with rugby training. So it was a bit more involved, more organized. And the Coins have a great structure, which allowed it to be easier on us as players. What is, um, I guess, the junior structure there? Because they've got, I mean, they, they've got some amazing young players that you got to play with, like Jessica Breach. Uh, right. Um, and then you've got hardened veterans like Rachel Burford. Right. <laughs> the names I've heard of, you know, for a while that I thought I would only play again and never get to really enjoy them as a human. <laughs> um, yeah, it, it was it was pretty cool. I it, it took me a bit for Rachel. Cause she, I mean, people can tell you she's intimidating. She's an amazing player. As she hears this, I'll tell her. You know, she, she's an amazing human being, honestly. Um, but it was just kind of, kind of surreal, I guess. You know, there's these players you've heard about for a while. Some of them, like you said, old, some of them veteran, or a veteran, some of them super new. Um, but you hear about them on a series, you know of them, but, um, you don't really get to know them. Um, so just getting to know them in between trainings and, um, hang out with them one on one or in groups, that was some of the best time for me. Really, um, I don't know. It just gave me a bit more experience of what it is to live in the UK and not just be there as a visitor. I felt like it was kind of a home, which made it easier for me, especially being away from my family. Um, and they were just super welcoming, you know. So I guess in in club level, uh, say after Wax Sevens, uh, we we sort of talked about it in. Uh, is it changed months? No, at the at the beginning of the month. Uh, right. You know, it, that going back to Quinn's was still possibly on, on the horizon. Have you made that decision or, I guess, had those conversations? Um, it's still kind of up in the air, you know. There are a couple of things that I think I need to figure out back home. And, and obviously, I need to discuss with Quinn's coaching. You know, they just went through open, selection, open camp. They can only have so many registrations. For the season, uh, which I think is 60. Um, so I still need to kind of discuss options with coaching staff and see if it's um, still a possibility or, or on the table. I, I would totally love to return, but obviously uh, just need to figure out how I would do that financially. Yeah. And if my employer would be so kind to let me go again. Um, so yeah, I mean, still something that I that I want to do, and it was something that I wanted to do as many times as I could before 
World Cup 2021. So it's it's pending. I'll just say pending. So today's your your day off, right? Right, right. And you mentioned that you guys went to the salon to get your your hand your I guess. Hands did, I guess nails did. uh, Hands did. uh, We had manicures, some got pedicures. Yes. Um, I mean, don't don't let them don't let the boys lie to you. They all get during camp. They all go get pedicures. Like oh, hundred percent, hundred percent. I mean, you you know, you wear you wear boots for a while. You're you're getting scratched. You're getting bruised, scraped up. You're getting sunburned. I mean, honestly, a couple of us that get together, there's a few groups, you know, we we use it as an opportunity to kind of decompress, um, relax a little bit, take your take your mind away from tour, you know, work, outside engagement, and just kind of chill out a little bit before elections come, before stressors come, and it's one of my favorite, it's one of my favorite parts of camp. <laughs> so, I guess uh, yesterday was the big contact day. Um, yeah. All right. And today is actually what what I would call a Wednesday, based on just how schedules work. Wednesday is usually like the day off, uh, right? But it's a Tuesday, obviously. Uh, so who hit the hardest yesterday? <laughs> uh, honestly, we're all hitting pretty hard. You know, even Emily Hendrich, she's not a small lady. She hit pretty hard. Um, I I don't know if we have a stereotype of five players hitting the hardest because they have some pretty hard hitting centers. Now we have a Lev Kelter back on. You know she hits pretty hard. Um, there's I you know there's a few names you know obviously Hope Rogers who's a hard runner and a hard tackler and um but the the whole day was just us coming at each other for a little bit. Luckily we had tackles on for most of it, which was nice. So did anyone get, yeah, but did anyone get uh, a red card? <laughs> no cards, no injuries. It was a, it was actually a really good day of contact. Yeah. All right, all right, okay. Um, so, what does the rest of the week look like for you uh, going into England? Yeah, so we we have the day off today, like you said. Um, we have a team event today, and then we have selections that are out tonight. So that kind of involves one-on-one discussions with the coaching staff. We'll get to know selections, and then tomorrow we'll come back in and have the training, kind of connect the dots to everything we've done for the last three-ish days, um, two days, and then David came in on Saturday, um, get a team run in on Thursday, and then a training ceremony on Thursday evening, and then Friday's the game. So it's pretty much, you know, a compacted schedule up till until Friday. And then after that, it, it's very similar to the World Cup schedule where the turnarounds are really tight. Yeah. Um, selections will come out immediately after England because there's just not enough time for a practice reevaluation to move forward. Yeah, um, uh, and then our big... It's like, uh, so it's like four days, right? And uh, the regs, Oh, right. You're back into it. So the regs are 96 hours out, so basically you've got a recovery day. If you're the coach, like, after the game, you... Right. He was bruised, who needs some help, yeah, you know, um, treatment, and use that day to reflect and then just move forward. And then we're on to the next task. Yeah. There's, so much, so much, there's only so little time to reflect. 
um, and then you're just on to the next game. And when that game's done, you just kind of wash it off and, and move on. And then our biggest break is is after New Zealand because we have a bye. Yeah. Um, My schedule is yeah. all screwed up. I'm here. I'll, I'll drive out really early and we'll go. We'll be there for the England game on Friday. And then right. we'll be back to watch, uh, I guess. Um, right. But, uh, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, so I'll be back out there for that for the sixth. Um, right. Well, at least you'll be able to enjoy Fourth of July. <laughs> we will, yeah. It'll be another Fourth of July at Chula Vista for me, which I enjoy. Um, yeah, okay. it was weird because for a while we were, a lot of us were just losing, you know, New Year's. We always had a New Year's camp in Tiger Town, Florida. It's four years in a row where I didn't go home for years. But, no, it'll be good to spend some time with the athletes here and enjoy a little bit of vacation during Fourth of July. So what are your personal goals for this tour? Or, I guess, it is a tour, and it just you don't move anywhere. Personal goals, um, really just develop, I guess. I just want to find more of my niche um, in the team. If I'm going to progress as a four, then I'm going to be a dominant four. Work on my technique as a four. Work on my contact. Work on my work on the ground in contact and without the ball. Um, I'm really just hoping to be a quick, a bit quicker and just um, make sure that everything I do during this camp and after this camp is kind of with purpose, you know. Um, but I think the big thing for the whole team of this camp, too, is just really connecting the dots with all of our talent, everything we've learned in the past six months, and seeing if we can really pull it all together in a, you know, pretty decent structure. Um, give our game plan a runaround and see, and see how it goes and see if we can react to things that change on the field and um, space that opens up and what other teams give us, if we can exploit it. Um, that's kind of my personal goal, you know, obviously an overall arching team goal. That's kind of where I'm at for Super Series. So it's, it's... <laughs> Obviously. So, uh, good luck. Um, yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah, Aaron, thanks for having me. I appreciate, you know, the call and the opportunity to be on the podcast. No problem. Again, good luck versus the Red Roses. Special thanks to Christine Silmer for joining us on Earful of Dirt Lineouts. Uh, she is someone that has lived the American rugby story, which has been sort of made famous by a friend of the show, Dan Lyle, former Eagles captain, uh, in how she was able to find rugby and succeed in rugby at a high level later in life, finding the game uh, when she was 18, 19 years old at University of California, Santa Barbara, and excelling at every level, uh, choosing to level up, move up, and play higher every chance she could get. And eventually that led to uh, caps in both the sevens game and in the 15s game, has achieved something that very few players will ever get to do, and that's four World Cup caps, to say the least. That is pretty awesome. Uh, She was a great guest to have on, and for all the young women and young men out there that are listening, I think she provides you a 
a path to consider when it comes to finding rugby in the United States that you can find the game late and still with the right coaching still compete at a high level and represent your country with that I'm Aaron Castro signing off this has been lineouts by earful of dirt connect with earful of dirt online we're on Facebook and Twitter at earful of dirt you can email us at earfulofdirt at gmail.com or call and leave us a voicemail at 720-600-2679. For Aaron, Dan, and Victor, I'm Corey. Thanks for listening. <laughs>